in 2014, a movie came out, made over $100 million on a budget of quite a bit less than that. And that movie was called Ouija. People went to see this movie in droves and loved the chills and thrills they got from a movie based on a board game that came out in the 60s. And every one of those people who loved this movie and went back and saw it in the theater should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible movie that somehow miraculously got a sequel called Ouija Origins of Evil, done by genius director Mike Flanagan, that turned this particular turd into solid gold. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about both of these movies, Ouija and its prequel, Ouija Origin of Evil. Hello, and coming to you from Possum Kingdom in my basement in Newark, Delaware, I'm Jacob, and this is the Scary Stuff Podcast, and with me today are Nick. How y'all doing today? And Eric. Hi, friend. <laughs> and as we heard in the intro, we are here to talk about two particular movies today. One of them is called Ouija, or Ouija, depending on how you want to say it. We're going to say Ouija because we're not heathen. Um, <laughs> Although Ouija probably makes more sense since the word is derived from saying yes in French and yes in German. One of the explanations for it, but it's not actually a solid answer. It's not, but we we'll know go that with that's that what it yeah. is. I know there's like more occulty ones that are, mm -hmm. you know, stupid. <laughs> so yeah, Ouija was a thing, it was a board game essentially that came out in the 60s as a way for middle class people to entertain themselves and dabble in the occult without getting burned at the stake by the church. And here we are quite a few years later, and they decided to make a movie about it called Ouija, which is a very creative title. I said we were going to say Ouija, didn't I? And then I yes, called it did. Ouija. I'm going to do this all through the picture. Just deal with it. You're super keen on this movie, too. Oh. <laughs> you know, I was in my notes, I was going to call this episode The Agony and the Ecstasy after the <laughs> Irving Stone novel, but I can just call the episode Turn Into Gold if you want to. <laughs> Well, did you like it? Well, no. <laughs> How about you, Nick? Nick, what did you think of Ouija? Uh, or Ouija? Or Ouji? Uh, I could use words, but I think that just sums it up. Yeah, so it's not a good film. Like I said, it came out in... I don't know, I already forgot what I said. 2014. 2014. And it made a barrel of money. Yeah. $5 million um, budget, $103 million worldwide. Yes, you know, but why? It's incredibly profitable. And I gotta admit, I mean, I was alive then. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> I remember it coming Oh, I remember out. it. Yeah. I remember the commercials. Like, I, I guess I kind of remember it existing. I, I don't remember it being a zeitgeist situation. I don't remember people going, yeah, go see this. I just remember the trailers. That's it. Yeah, well, so here's my shame. <laughs> when I watched it for this podcast, this was not the first time I had seen the film. I watched it, not when it came out. I certainly wasn't one of those shameful masses that saw it in the theaters. <laughs> I saw it... On cable one night, I was flipping channels, you know, you, how you do, 10 o'clock at yeah. night, I can't sleep, I've got probably booze in my hand, because that makes me feel better as to actually sitting down and watching this, and I saw it was just starting on probably Showtime or Cinemax or something, I don't think HBO ever stooped so low as to showing it, <laughs> and, you know, it was just starting, like, it was the opening, you know, very opening, I'm like, okay, well, let's watch this, I'm already probably half in the bag, so I did. And 
it was a mistake then. It was certainly a mistake now. It didn't get better in the intervening years. Ooh. Sorry. It's not the kind of movie where you, if you do a close watching of it where you're you know, writing notes and trying to come up with interesting things to say about it, that it, it lends itself to that. Nope. Mostly it lends it's itself to... It's incredibly shallow. Yeah, it's shallow. So I think it was our first episode. might have been our second episode. Yeah, it was the first episode where Eric made a comment about the worst thing you can do in a horror movie is be indifferent. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would say that that would sum this up. It's incredibly paint-by-numbers. Yes. There's yeah. nothing interested in it. It's not even interested in trying to draw you in deeper. It just... It, just trying to get the job done. It just does its very basic functions. Yes. This movie was directed by Styles White, who is a production coordinator for Stan Winston Studios. Yeah, Stan Winston. Although, I will say this for Styles White. So this was Styles White's directorial debut. But in terms of Stan Winston Studios, a quick side note. So Styles' first two credits as a production assistant were Interview with a Vampire in Congo, and then was promoted to production coordinator. And the first credit for production coordinator is The Island of Dr. Moreau. Which, uh. I do not envy Styles White if that was the first <laughs> film as a coordinator. as a hell of a minefield to have to step into. So, Styles White directed this, co-wrote it with Juliette Snowden. Two of them co-wrote the movie's Boogeyman, worked oh. on the screenplay for Knowing, and they co-wrote the screenplay for The Possession. You know, um, I actually want to see Knowing. I've seen it. It's, it's eh, from what I remember. Uh, it looks terrible, but <laughs> there's, I guess, some sort of twist in it. That basketball Twitter constantly alludes to and has never said what it is. Okay. And I thought I should probably just watch this. I I don't want us to be the sort of podcast that just, you know, relentlessly tears people down. I've seen interviews with Styles White. Seems very nice. Same with Juliet Snowden. So I'm sure he's a lovely player. I'm sure Canada. they're lovely people. So instead, we have our totemic Jason Bloom <laughs> Funko Pop. This movie is kind of the embodiment of the Blumhouse model. So I've got the Blumhouse Funko Pop in front of me, and I'm just going to spend most of this episode staring into its cold plastic eyes. (laughs) And I'm going to keep doing this until the universe makes sense again. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why Plastic Funko Jason Blum? Why? (laughs) Although I can't fault Plastic Funko Jason Blum because, again, the model worked. You know, the Blumhouse model is... Make them cheap and, you know, crap load of profit if you make them cheap enough. Horror movies made for a certain budget, you're basically guaranteed a certain profit margin if you market them right. And this is that in a nutshell. There was a lot of profit made on this. So you can't fault the model. So, like, look, obviously I just spent several minutes crapping on this. It's competently made. It looks like a movie. It looks like a movie. Yeah, it's my, yeah, my, my it's note on it. Is, yeah, it my, has actual editors putting it together. My actual last note on this is, I think my favorite thing was the color grading. <laughs> it's actually, the colors are pretty. It's it's kind of well shot. Like, look, if I didn't know anything about the two films, and I was flipping through previews or the first two minutes or three minutes of a movie, I would watch this instead of Absentia, which mm. is another Mike Flanagan film. That was his first film. Yeah, Absentia is a very good movie. I'm just saying, from the pure like, visual quality standpoint. It's more polished. This was fine. And the opening sequence is a sequence. Standard. Um, <laughs> well, it starts with her looking, like, worried at the Ouija board and then burning it, right? Well, it well, starts, starts with, with a flashback to them as kids playing that's the Ouija right, board for right. the first time. Which establishes and, the rules. And the very first line of dialogue in the movie is, I don't know if I want to do this. And my first thought is, me neither, kid! <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm I'm with Eric. I don't want to tear down other people's work and be that, but it's hard in this. And even they admit when you read interviews about this with Mike Flanagan about the sequel, 
is that they know it wasn't good. Yeah. They know it was a bad movie, and they say it in very nice terms. They couch it and they say things like, we know that it missed the mark, but we wanted to see if we could do something more interesting with the sequel. But I, I just, I don't think I've ever read anything complimentary about it. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who liked it, which is, again, not, you know, a huge surprise. Most of the people I know that love horror movies are in this studio with me. But there's but just... It's very wooden. Yeah, so let's let's get into the movie. Yeah. <sighs> so, like we said, it starts with a flashback that establishes the rules. And the rules are, never play in a graveyard, never play alone, and always say goodbye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those rules did not come in the original game no really that was an an invention for the movie okay which is cool because then they immediately show a scene of her breaking i think every single one of the rules (laughs) pretty much Um, she doesn't know she's breaking the first one but we find out later much later in a separate movie that she was well technically they find out in this movie what happens is oh right 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 because they find that yeah yeah yeah, okay yeah dub she breaks all the rules so she immediately breaks all the rules and immediately pays for it yeah, her friend comes to visit her early on, and she's being very cagey about something going on. Won't tell her. Won't let her in her house and just tries to pretend everything's fine and tells her friend to go on. And friend says, you know, I'll go ahead and get food for you. And then the, the friend has the line, the friend being the main character, which later becomes the protagonist, who's played by Olivia Cook. She has the line saying, you know, I'll get food for you. And she says, you know, pancake with the works. What exactly is pancake with the works? <laughs> That's my is second it, note. Yeah, what are it, pancakes with the works? works. I, I assume it pancakes with the works is ketchup, mustard, onions, and relish. <laughs> no, no, no. You got, you got, you got to think. You know, like, chili you know, and cheese. I mean, what? <laughs> you got to go IHOP. You're talking like bananas for the eyes. You're gonna have whipped cream with some like chocolate chips involved. You have like a, a mouth made out of some other. Oh, stuff. the bacon mouth. Yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. Exactly, exactly. Have you ever gone into an IHOP and said, "Can I have pancakes with the works?" I am now. I would like to Someone see Someone will happen. show up with the works. Yeah. We should, once <laughs> restaurants reopen, we should go to one of them and ask for that and see how they react. She may actually be referencing, like, the sides. Like, I want my scrambled eggs, I want my sauces, I want bacon, I want my hash browns. Presumably, I've never, never heard dice. anyone use the phrase yeah. with the works in conjunction yeah. with pancakes. That's fair. It's just, it's it's a weird line, and it's it's that kind of thing that makes you want to, like, who says this? Where Where is this a thing? How is it? And, For, like, the third line in the movie, you shouldn't have one of those. (laughs) It shouldn't be coming right out of its way to say, here's the rules, we're going to break them. Here's a strange line of dialogue between two people that's meant to be chumly, and it sounds like internet bots talking to each other. (laughs) So then she goes back inside, and she goes upstairs, and she I forget if she uses the Ouija board again or if she just throws it in the fire. Yeah, she She throws it in the fire, comes downstairs, the burner has turned on on the stove, if I recall. She sees the planchette from the Ouija board sitting out. Back door's open. Back door's open, yep. Oh, that's right, and she makes herself dinner. Well, she's having dinner, then the door opens behind her. She closes that door. She turns off the burner to turn itself on. And then, this bugged me, she just leaves (laughs) dinner. Like, she's obviously like, okay, this wigged me out, I'm not hungry anymore. So she just leaves dinner on the table... Completely, like, intact as is. Doesn't clean up after herself, doesn't throw anything <laughs> away, just, you know, this'll keep, I'm sure it won't be rotting in the morning, I'll be good. And it's just also not a table. It's an island. That's true, it's a kitchen She's island. She's eating on a cutting board yeah. with a plate in the middle of the kitchen, but, next to the stove. You know, teenagers are animals, I'm gonna forgive that one. But the fact that she, like, leaves it up completely <laughs> is ridiculous. We know from other movies, two feet down, there's a table. <laughs> Queen's on an island. Ugh. We are literally like two minutes into the movie. <laughs> this is amazing. But then she goes upstairs. How many fireplaces does she pass in the course of this scene? Oh, I didn't count them. Three. How wow. many chimneys are on the house 
that they use for exterior shots? Just the one? Zero. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so she goes upstairs. It annoys me because she does. She passes a yep. bunch of fireplaces. Like, and then she goes upstairs. Another fireplace. I'm like, these are rich people. And then they show the outside. I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> we were discussing in the previous episode Doctor Sleep, which was sequel to Seeing Like Kubrick's The Shining, and. You watch that movie and you see the sheer amount of detail they put in yep. in recreating the overlook and yep. all the sets and the layouts. You know, if Mike Flanagan was going to do that for this one, it's like, all right, we got to recreate the house from Ouija 1. It would be three fucking fireplaces. What the <laughs> fuck? Where's the chimney? <laughs> it's the same house in both it is, movies. Yes, yes, and yes. it's the same house used for exterior shots, yep. which is a different house a block away. Okay. Uh, so she heads on up, and much to her surprise, the Ouija board that she just burnt you saw it was like half gone by the time we established where it is. It is whole and intact and just sitting on her bed. Yep. So she picks the planchette up, looks through the eyepiece, and sees something that causes her eye to go full-on milky opaque. And then she just grabs her Christmas lights, walks out to the balcony, and seeing it coming a mile away, hangs herself in the uh, foyer. Two things on this. One is... That we see her, so she has Christmas lights strung up around her room, and so she, we see her kind of pulling those off where she has them strung up around her window, and she's just kind of pulling them off the wall and dragging them, and so we don't see her, like, fashion the news part of it. We don't see her anchor the Christmas lights on nope. anything. That is a strong-ass plug yes. to withstand <laughs> all that, that pound and velocity of her body going over the railing and coming to a stop, where I just kind of wanted the movie to be. Like, she goes... Comes to a stop for a second and then, boof, goes limp. And you see the Christmas lights spiral down, followed by a chunk of the wall where the socket was. That is a hell of a socket to hold her in. There is also the fact that they're long as hell because they are on by the time she's done. So yep, they come the whole time. Room, yep. Out the hallway to whatever is going to like hold her up above where she is. And then all the way down, it's like, there's no way. They're also no load-bearing way. Christmas lights. Like, yep. <laughs> just, man, you buy these shit for a dollar at Walgreens. <laughs> You know, and, and they're not that strong. They're nope. easy. Like, they're not going to support the a human body. You would need quite a few strings of them to distribute the weight. Yeah, while well, you might be able to strangle someone with them, you can't hang someone can't with hang them. can't hang somebody. No. Not with the force that she hits, too. Oh, yeah. It's like, pow. Like, she, yeah. woo. Yeah. It's like, she jumps up. You I just made a gesture that, like, with my it, hand it you can't su- see. It's such a, <laughs> there's no side movement whatsoever. When you finally see it happen, she comes from off camera straight down. Yep. So, I mean, she's high, like. She had to be floating, honestly, from where she was at, and then come straight down hard. There's no way the Christmas lights would survive that. Which goes into the second reason I have a problem with this, which is Christmas lights are traumatic enough <laughs> just by virtue of every year you have to go and untangle that shit. Uh. And what a dick move to add to your parents' <laughs> trauma, where your parents already have to go through enough to untangle that big-ass ball of Christmas lights every year, but now knowing that their daughter was, <laughs> like, your parents the next year had to be like, piece of shit Christmas lights, <laughs> my daughter was dead, and piece of shit, now one of the goddamn lights is out, I gotta find out what's, <laughs> one goes out, my daughter dies. <laughs> Why the hell are they blinking? So, yeah, real dick move for your parents on that one. Yeah. And Good job, it's, kid. Yeah, it's funny because I, I distinctly remember watching it for the first time. That happens. It's, like I said, 11 o'clock at night. I probably got booze in my hand. And I just remember thinking, I'm in trouble. <laughs> just saw it coming a mile away. It's not yeah. remotely clever. It's not interesting. It's like, oh, I know what's next. Yeah, and we it, see and- her body come over the rail, comes to a stop. She hangs there for a second. There's a big boom and we smash into the Ouija. title font. Ouija. 
and it should have smashed in the title front. No refunds. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just, I, I, I feel bad about myself that I kept watching that first time. <laughs> I mean, I watched it this time for the pod, and I felt bad about myself that I kept watching. Like, I could just do this and just wing it. I'll read the Wikipedia. They'll never know. But, uh, <laughs> but this is it- what we do for you, loyal <laughs> listener. Then it goes from, like, the title screen to Lane, our main character. Yep, Olivia um, Cook. Meeting up for, like, a lunch or just a meet up with Trevor. And then, of course, their friend uh, Isabella, who is uh, working at the diner. I love Trevor coming in, you know, and sit down. Little more bean juice. Yep, I got that. <laughs> Again, with his, who says that? My note is, little more bean juice. I hate this guy. <laughs> it's kind of, with these odd dialogues, it was like, like, I know Styles White and, you know, I know the age of Styles White and Juliet Snowden because I've seen interviews with them. And I was like, was this written by, like, a 70-year-old? It's like they're all written like 80-year-old men, and like the second go-through on the script was taking out all references to Metamucil and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Metamucil, with the works. (laughs) It's just, yeah, some of the lines are so strange and awkward. And I I mean, it's weird, because I, I... I mean, maybe they talk that way in California or wherever the hell the writers are from, but... No, just no. I mean, you you can theorize that, but no. (laughs) Yeah, I... Yeah. It's... Older people writing for younger people, but not caring to sound like younger people. You know, hello, fellow kids, or whatever that meme is. <laughs> hello, fellow <laughs> students. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then then they're at the funeral, and I mean, I I, I blanked out so much of this movie, and I just watched it. Oh, yeah, they, they, sorry to rip these wounds open for you again when you clearly have a mental coping mechanism so, in place. So yeah, they're at the diner. You're just kind of establishing who they are and who all the relationships are, and then they're here called, are the soon to be dead teenagers. And then they tell you like, you know, oh, Debbie died in a horrible way and everyone's like oh I didn't see it coming and Lane's like oh maybe I just stayed with her a bit more maybe I could have done something you know stickle guilt no here's the thing that hits me well she goes home and that's where we meet the sister too right we meet the sister we meet meet her dad and we meet Nona who's played by Vivi Colombetti who was Martine in Paranormal Activity 2 I still can't figure out who she was in this I don't know either They call her Nona, but is she the... I I don't know. Nona wanted to be here. Was she the grandmother? The name implies to me grandmother. Yeah, I I assume, but yeah, I don't think... Yeah, but she's not at the funeral, I don't believe. Well, it's not for... Maybe she is. I think she is at the funeral now. Yeah, because she's... Debbie is not a relative of of Nona, so she's just kind of there to support Lane, and Lane goes to the funeral without her. That makes sense to me, but... Man, you, you, the fact that you remember these characters' names is impressive. You just, <laughs> you just watched this shit today, didn't you? Last night. I watched, <laughs> I watched Ouija last night. I watched Ouija uh, Awakening of Evil. Origin. I'm going Origin to get this wrong Evil. every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did pretty good on Before I Wake. Or, yeah. I, I literally, Wait, did I just screw it up? Yeah. No, you got it. The one time you think you got it wrong is when you got it right. <laughs> and I watched that today, so it's all fresh. The one thing that bugged me was, so, okay, they want to establish an environment where these kids can do whatever they want to investigate the situation and deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. And so, right off the bat, Lane and Sarah's parents, like, the mom's out of the picture. Nona doesn't live there, she just visits. And her dad- And who like, is she? So again, <laughs> assuming the grandma. But then, um, the dad goes away on a business trip. So, Lane and Sarah are completely alone, left with the house. And then you have Debbie's parents- Obviously, they have no more kids to worry about. But they, at the funeral, are like, thank you, Lane, for watching the house while we're away. Here's my problem. They never actually explain why the hell they're going anywhere oh, yeah. shortly after the death of their daughter. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? 
They're just like, fuck it, we're out. Yeah, that sucked. We're going to Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, dead daughter's best friend, mime the house that she killed herself in? Why Call a going? travel agent. I need to be someplace far away from Christmas lights as possible. <laughs> so, Barbados. So while what is given to you allows them to have both houses to do with as they want and set scenes as they need... It makes no sense at all. Yeah. Oh, this person has killed themselves, has affected all of our children. We out. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the parents just fuck right off. And then the main character has to become the mom figure for the rebellious goth daughter. Yep. Who is... Re- I, it, oh. she's rebellious. <laughs> you get the impression she's rebellious because of what happened to their mom. Which remind me what happened to their mom? Who the hell knows? <laughs> they don't address it! They don't tell you! You can maybe guess she died. You know, that would explain why, you know, the sister's gone kind of goth pissy, but then, you know, all you know is she's gone. And they don't get along because the older sister's trying to fill in that responsibility gap. You're like, you're not my real mom. Yeah, <laughs> everything what? is painted in the broadest possible oh, brush. Oh, so awful. This just occurred to me, maybe because it also took place in California. Maybe Nona is the same person where she goes during the day is to work for the people in Paranormal Activity too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's just her job. Yeah, maybe well, she I was just goes around that. Southern California trying to help out teenagers deal with ghosts. <laughs> yeah, we got Paranormal Activity. We had Toby, and now we got Marcus. So we got Marky, and I was like, did they go to the same school? They could be buddies. I don't know. There could be a connection. I I want to see that movie because again, Nona's more interesting than any of these fucking people. <laughs> 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 Every single one of these kids is so wooden and two-dimensional, and just, there's no depth to them whatsoever. You no. know, I have a note about that, which is just simply weird thinking of this movie as being in the same genre as Possum. Oh. oh. <laughs> Who the hell said that? I did. <laughs> no, no, no. Who said they're in the same genre as Possum? They're both horror movies, man. No, 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 was still around. These shits would be right next to each other on the same shelf. O.P. I'm coming, Martha. Oh, now I want that movie. They we see Possum. Alan Armstrong is what you do. You take the planchette. You're going to circulate more for everyone at the board. Always say goodbye, you do. And Sean Harris stumbling out from his den. Pancakes with the works, Dad. <laughs> hey, you know I want my pancakes with the works, boy. With your fucking creepy ass puppet. Yes, you do. By the way, go see Possum. If you can, it's much better than Ouija. If you take anything away from this podcast. From our Ouija see episode. See Possum. Yeah, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> But there's kind of a like a children's plaything connection there. So Possum is based around this character played by Sean Harris, who had this puppet weird spider-like contraption he had as a kid. Whereas this is a horror franchise based around a children's board game that was put out by Parker Brothers and at the time. At the time, yeah. Now, now it's under Hasbro. Hasbro. And yeah, and it, so this was like I think the first Hasbro movie, like yes. officially. Oh no, no, no! It's the first Hasbro movie to make money. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they also had um, Transformers. They had make, yeah. no Transformers. All make money. no. It's like yeah. it was GI Joe. GI Joe did, but no, it was a fucking battleship or whatever. Battleship, battleship probably. Yeah, yeah. Because that's one of the things you were thinking. Like was like at Blumhouse, like when they got like the Hasbro catalog. What were the other things they went through where they were fielding pitches from people? It was like, all right, imagine a trailer, and you just have this voice speaking over, it, and you see this demonic shadow. It's a voice so malevolent, you can't hurt it. You can't reason <laughs> with it. You can't run from it. All you can do is bop it. 
or a crying girl and you hear a demonic voice off camera and the creature's saying my immeasurable power can be yours all your wildest dreams can come true and all you have to do is say my name and she <laughs> Yahtzee <laughs> <laughs> so Lane's at the house she's like cleaning up the mail and she's looking around and she's clearly morose and sad about what happened and she's back in Debbie's room and she's looking around and the, the closet's open again and she goes in there and finds the Ouija board waiting for her. And she, after a short conversation with her friends, they decide that they're going to actually hold a Ouija board session in Debbie's house that night to try mm-hmm. to reach her and try to figure out what happens. This is the only part of the movie that is remotely interesting, but at the same time I saw it coming a mile away. Because they get there and they're like, okay, you put your hands on, follow the rules, they ask some questions, and there's spirit here, who are you? And it identifies itself as D. Yeah, I have a note yeah. about that. Yeah, <laughs> just D. Just D. At, at which point they're like, "Oh, it's Debbie. We got. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's talk to Debbie. There's no way in hell this is some other spirit fucking with us. <laughs> you know, abbreviations always work in the spirit realm. <laughs> I just like to think Debbie spelled her name with the Norwegian H in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, the, it's spelled Yahweh or whatever. The 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 one thing I liked was is that it fits the rules in that they do the session, but when they say goodbye, they say goodbye to Debbie, not the actual person that they're talking to. Because D is not Debbie. Mm. As we learn later, it's Doris. Yep. So they never actually said goodbye to Doris. They didn't say goodbye. We learn later, they break uh, one of the other rules of that session, too. And already, before all this happened, Debbie was playing alone. So all three rules by this point are officially broken. Those rules are... As useless as most of the characters. In <laughs> they're, they're meaningless. They don't. None of the stuff that they do really appears to be a consequence of breaking the rules, well, other than you know doing it in the graveyard. I guess the argument is if you break the rules, then you don't sever the connection between the board and the spirit, so it doesn't go away. Which is what happens in the film. It sticks around and starts screwing with them all. Theoretically, except, except we know that the spirits lived in the house anyway, but couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything until they got tethered to the board. But we don't know that. That's established. Timeline, everything. Nothing happened until they used the board. The board opens the door. But we don't see them open the door. We know that the well, they, they, that, that Debbie has had weird things and she has the board out. Debbie says she's going to use it. And at which point, things get weird for her. But we don't see her do it the first time. Well, no. But it's clear she hasn't done it with anyone else. She's used it, so she used it alone. Well, we infer that. I'm just saying, they put out these rules, but they don't really much affect either film. Nothing happens until they break them. They're, they're crucial to the film. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> so, the, for the folks who are seeing this, when this episode goes up, you'll see that we had a custom artwork for this episode that was done by Steve Myers, <laughs> which is a picture of a Ouija board, but instead of yes, no, there are the words rules and patterns. <laughs> so, which is a callback to episode two on paranormal activity, but it turns out to be very appropriate to this as well. <laughs> I would say this is definitively a pattern because we don't see the rules broken in the first place. All I'm saying is, if I feel something hit my head and I look down and see a baseball and I turn around and someone's holding a mitt, I'm yelling at that fucker. I'm not saying I didn't see him throw it, so it obviously didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) If you're you're going to establish rules and then you should show them being broken. That is an artistic choice, and I would argue that you are correct. Oh, we're going to use the word artistic with this (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with you that... And we're back to Nick being rich as a child. (laughs) You're arguing the, the opposite of Chekhov's gun, is that if I see a bullet, I would like to see the gun beforehand. And I respect that. If you're going to have 
an effect, you'd like to see the cause. I feel you. I'm just I, saying, I'm just saying that I can infer a cause and know it's right without actually seeing it. You can, but if you're going to spend more time establishing the rules, then you should directly see them being broken as the cause of the problem. In this case, the problem has started, and then they establish the rules, and then mostly ignore the rules. Which is what the whole point of the problem. You could have just cut out the rules and had no problem. Well, without the rules, why does the spirit start messing with them? Because they use a Ouija board in a haunted fucking house. <laughs> why do you need more than that? I think the point of the rules is to make it, this is why it doesn't happen to every household left and right, you know? But it does happen to every time you see a Ouija board in a fucking movie. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. How many movies do we see there was a Ouija board where there isn't about to be some shit that's going to go down? You see what I'm saying? You don't have to establish why. a boring why. movie if nothing happened. Right. But you don't need to establish why. It's a Ouija board. That's why. They're not even rules that came with the game. I just don't think that's well, true. But I don't see anything wrong with putting a little structure in a situation. I just think if you're going to do it, you should apply to that structure to the whole thing instead of just jumping in the middle. This is your completionist kicking in. I feel you. <laughs> it's not even that. I'm just saying don't establish rules after they've been broken. You establish the rules first and then break them. Instead of breaking all the rules, then establishing them. As you said, it's an artistic choice. Feels, I'm arguing it's a bad one. Eh, it feels more like kind of a, uh, a, a, a Eastern culture approach, honestly. With like wow. Stories. Hold up. Somewhere Styles White, <laughs> director Styles White, is listening to this episode and just calling out to Julius. No, no, honey, honey, come here, come here. You gotta listen to what this guy Nick is saying about it. He gets it. He fucking gets it. I knew someone would get it. That's right, they are rules, motherfucker. They're not fucking patterns. I told Jason Bloom they're not patterns. And then he reaches over and he whacks his singing bowl on the side. <laughs> So anyway, we're back to Eastern philosophy. Not philosophy. Styles of storytelling. It's like, you know, life is a never-ending tale. And that anytime you jump into it, you're interrupting a story. So they don't necessarily have solid, concrete beginnings and ends. You can Where does it actually begin or end? So you can, you can miss initial causes, and that'd be fine. Wow. That is, that is impressive. I'm going to stop arguing this because that's, that's reaching deep in your bag of tricks <laughs> to come up with a reason that this movie isn't complete I, no, crap. Let me be clear here. The movie is crap. But I just think in this one moment, not establishing the rules just to see Debbie break them is a non-issue. There's so much more that wrong with this film to worry about. And I'm just <laughs> saying that the rules are a completely unnecessarily and useless part of this film that serves no purpose because they don't establish anything. They don't do anything. They serve no narrative or structural purpose to anything that happens in the film that is better by them being there than them simply not being there. Are you saying you can make it Occam's Razor and a simpler way to do it? Sure. But they want to do it this way. Fine. Huh. Occam's Razor. It's just, it's a, <laughs> if you use a Ouija board, we know, we all, unlike these children, know what a Ouija board is supposed to do. You talk into a spirit. Oh, okay, that spirit happens to be malevolent. All right, we're good. You don't need the rules that just don't really do anything or hang anything on. Anyway, we're getting, we're on this too much. I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> because we're in the West, damn it. No, no, no. This guy is not telling Eastern fables. <laughs> the, rules guy, the rules matter. It's a the the, the rules exist in this because he thought it would be cool for her to hold up something and read them off. The rules make them targets, that's all. I love anyway, our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Times like this, I love our podcast. So anyway, it still stops on D. Yes, which is for Doris, not Debbie. And 
Yeah, I can't even remember after that. Then and it unlocks <laughs> the the bad spirit and. Uh, well, what happens is is that now that they've made contact and they said hello to it, they go back to their lives, feeling that you know they've made connections, maybe we'll talk to her again. But throughout the day, each one of them gets a message. Hi, friend. Whether mm-hmm. it's carved into the desk, written on the wall, each of them is approached and in ways that are kind of intrusive. It makes them all a little nervous for having it happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting at this point, so there is there are four main characters at this point. Well, sorry, five. So there's Olivia Cook who's playing Lane. There's Anakota who plays her sister Sarah. There's uh, Lane's boyfriend Trevor, played by Darren Kagasoff. There's Isabel, who's played by Bianca Santos. And then the character we didn't mention, which is Pete, Pete. who was uh, Debbie's, Debbie's uh, boyfriend, boyfriend, who's played by Douglas Smith. And Douglas was in the Bye Bye Man. Yes, he was in the Bye Bye Man. He was in Terminator Genesis. He was in The Alienist. So what I'm about to say, I'm sure they're great actors and they're lovely people. Just in terms of their characters in this particular movie, Pete and Trevor kind of feel like Denny from The Room <laughs> ended up in a Star Trek transporter accident and got split into two people. <laughs> like he got a reverse Tuvix. They're, they're both Denny in different ways. So... And yeah, so they all get these weird messages. Uh, Trevor actually gets his. We were just talking about Mike Flanagan in kind of an absentia thing where he's yep. going through this creepy tunnel and has this little bit of chalk that rolls towards him and sees, you know, the high friend written there and all that shit. I had no recollection of that until you just said it. Oh, really? <laughs> I, just I can't remember. even remember Pete. Is he the curly-haired one? Yeah, Pete's the curly-haired yeah, one. Okay. He's all made a deep impression on me. No, I just remembered it because of the uh, comparison to Absentia because, well, there's another one coming up, which we'll get to, but also was he makes it through that tunnel and this character Trevor is so bad that the troll in the tunnel is like, I want nothing to do with it. You just move along. I'm not going to take you to the underneath. Just keep keep moving. <laughs> they never really explain the high friend thing either. It's just a Not that phrase, I recall, no. There's no, there's no particular reason. The sequel doesn't really just bother. Doris, it's referenced in Ouija yeah, Origin of Evil, yeah. but it's not, yeah, as far as what it came from, I don't know. Even the ghosts have awkward dialogue in this. Mm-hmm. Hi, friend. It feels almost like a place settery. What what are they gonna say? I don't know. Something about saying hi to the friend. You're just put hi friend in for now. We'll figure. We'll fix it in Go- post. Ghostly unobtainium. I can't even say it. Unobtainium. Nope. Unobtainium. Hey. So, Eric, fix that in post. So they all get this. Mark from the ghost that says, hi, friend, where it's you know, scrawled somewhere in Pete's case. It's scrawled into a desk. It's all in all these different places. And then we get our first ghost kill, which is Isabel when she's it's, oh. here. We have the flossing sequence. Oh. Uh, but she's sitting there flossing her teeth. And all of a sudden we start cutting back and forth. And it looks like her lips have been sewn shut. Maybe the only really disturbing part of the film for me was about it. For me, it was actually, it's related to Isabel. The The only part I, I I didn't think was good, but the closest thing to decent, I thought, was when she's going to her car and she sees High Friend written in the glass and oh, there's yeah. the hand that slaps against the glass. That, that, was, was, that was the closest thing to that decent I thought there was in this film. But yeah, so she's flossing. There's this weird edit where, you know, now her mouth is sewn shut and she has the same opaque eye effect yep. that we see on Debbie at the beginning. And then all of a sudden, Isabel just kind of floats up parallel to the ground and the ghost hits her with the Dudley decapitation device, the tag team finisher of the Dudley boys by dropping her head first on the sink. She doesn't kick out, which is why it's one of the most protected finishers in the wrestling industry. No one kicks out from the 3D. And in this case, 
You find out later that we have the initials DZ. It doesn't stand for Doris Xander. stands for Dudley Boy Z. <laughs> I really want to insert the Dudley Boy semen. I got to hope someone else who watches wrestling is listening to this podcast and gets that joke. So I, I had a note written down for that, which was genuinely doofy kill on poor Isabel, yep. whose only crime was having shitty friends who peer pressured her. Yep. Yeah. And then when I went back last night to organize my notes, I couldn't remember what the kill was. Yeah, basically, it, like, and, it lets the water overflow and then hits her head on the on the. On the yeah, to I had imply to. she slipped. I had to go yeah. to the Wikipedia, which seems a little and too, look up which one. She, how it, it's just it seems a little too forward thinking and like I'm going to cover up my kill. Why the hell would you care? I mean, for everything we know about this Doris entity, it should just been like I'm going to kill your fucking ass, not I'm going to yeah. kill you and make it look like a normal. But it has to be plausible. It has to be plausible. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll know and they'll track me down. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the spirit cops to come and harass me. <laughs> it's like, you know, just take her head and ram it into something. Don't make it look like an accident. It makes no sense. Well, nothing does. How does that? Why does it's a, essentially a haunted house movie where the, the ghost just follows him around and decides to kill him periodically for no good reason? Yep. It's one of those things like they jump pretty quickly a few minutes later in the film to the fact that, oh, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Like this is the fucking ring or something. But there's no reason for any of them to think that. There's no reason to think that this ghost is going to come after them and kill them and all this and that. It's an assumption. Like, it took out one of us that could get the rest yeah, of Yeah, they right. instantly leap to, yeah, it's coming for all of us. And, and that's, it, if anything, I would say that that's my biggest problem overall with this film. Is that what it does and what's so annoying and offensive about it is it doesn't give a shit. It knows that you know how things work in horror movies. And it just says, okay, this is how things work in horror movies, so this is what we're going to do. It doesn't really try to give you a story or a deeper meaning or, you know, any ulterior things. It's like, here's your five teenagers that must be killed by this scary ghost that mm-hmm. keeps changing appearances. And it doesn't give you any, it doesn't, it doesn't care. It's just paint by numbers. It's why, it's why we had, you know, we, we can argue all day about the rules, but they really don't matter. It's just a formula. You know, it's just, here's your thing, and here's, you know, we're going to kill the weakest of the people first, the one who was the most scared, and then we're going to get one of the guys, and then we're going to have a false kill, and then we're going to finally kill him, and we're going to set up the pool, and all this stuff. And none of it matters, because it knows the audience watching this has seen this a thousand times. Yeah. When I saw this the first time, I'm pretty sure what I said to you guys was, you know when you're watching a horror movie? And every now and again, you see a horror movie where there's a plot point where somebody is watching a bad horror movie on TV. Ouija honestly feels like the bad horror movie mm-hmm. that someone is watching, where it's like so paint by numbers and so comically played, where it's like, oh, yeah, of course, this is terrible. It just feels like you plucked a fake horror movie from another movie and put it into reality. You know what's funny about that? That's another thing that Flanagan <laughs> does well, because in every damn horror movie, they're always watching... Usually Night of the Living Dead or, you know, the Freaks or whatever. One of the, the ones that's free. Mm-hmm. In Before I Wake. He's they're... watching Honey Hill House. He's a haunting. Well, they're, they're watching Nick and Nora at one point. No, I, and, uh, Vincent Price in it. In the Before I Wake one. Maybe they might have been watching different things, but at one, one, point, at one point in one of the Flanagan they're movies, great. they're watching Nick and Nora. Yeah. And I thought but that was cool. I do <laughs> notice, I think it's Before I Wake, they're watching The Haunting, the Vincent Price one. Basically the earlier version of The Haunting Hill House. And it occurred to me watching that, I was like, what if, in reality, Flanagan picks his background movies to be the ones he would like to redo? And The Haunting Hills was the first one he could pull off. 
thinking about that, looking back at all the other movies he puts in there, it's like, what would Mike Flanagan do with Casablanca? What would Mike Flanagan do with Nick and Nora? There's, there's some interesting... Uh, Casablanca's his favorite movie. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Nobody should do anything with Casablanca. <laughs> it's it a perfect film, you can't change it, yeah. Somehow we got through the 80s without anybody remaking it. We can hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so once the kids realize that, or not once they realize, once they somehow infer that this spirit is coming for all of them, we get a quick sequence with the Lane character played by Olivia Cook, where she's meeting with a school grief counselor dealing with the loss of Isabel. The grief counselor is played by Morgan Peter Brown, who was the husband in Absentia. Ah, really? Yes. Nice. Huh. And he has the line where he gives her, you know, a pamphlet, and he says, there's a lot of very helpful information in here about dealing with loss and moving forward. And it's like, well, he should know. <laughs> but the thing is, what a cruel fucking fate. That the creature from Absentia was so pissed that he got away for 24 hours. Like, you know what, motherfucker? I ain't even taking you to the underneath. I'm sending you somewhere worse. And he just came to, and he was behind a desk. And he was like, where am I? No! No! And he's banging at the glass. Just, I want to go back to eating animals again. Just pay to take me back to the tunnel. Luigi! So that motherfucking troll is mean. This is also about the point where I stopped taking specific notes about anything happening. I have, just sitting going, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. matters. There's, there's like matter. I have a note, and I can't remember what this is about, which is probably Archive or something. What the fuck is Archive? I assume this is them talking about them researching it, and you know they don't want to say Google, because it might cost mm. them $3. Yeah. Uh, probably, yeah. And then they go to the asylum. Well, because at first, what they learn is, they learn that the house used to be... So they find the penguin, USB, where they learn that she found the Ouija in the attic while she's cleaning it. So they go to the attic, they find the old pictures, the old pictures of this family, a mother and two daughters, and they track down who these people are. They're the Xanders. Don't one of them see something in the attic? The flashlight rolls around, you see a, a body up there, it moves quick. It's, it's, a, yeah, stu- it's, it's a stupid jump scare, which there's plenty in this movie. But then they realize this, there's a Xander family, they look them up, the daughter went missing, they blame the mom, who then also went missing. The only remaining daughter is in a psychiatric facility. And they go there, and they find Pauline Xander. Played by Lynn Shay, one of the other highlights of the movie. She's fantastic. She's a lot of fun. My note about that is, the asylum scene is hilarious. Sure, I killed my mom and have been here since, but I'm a fine source. (laughs) (laughs) Would I lie? (laughs) I like Lynn Shay. It's funny, there's there's some stuff about Lynn Shay in... Oh, we do too. Yeah. And we do too. (laughs) That's interesting. But then, of course, they talk to Lynn Shay, and Lynn Shay's like, all right, I'll tell you the truth of the whole matter. We were using the Ouija to summon the spirits of the dead to help people with seances and whatnot. And too many negative spirits came. They inhabited my, my sister. And my mother was forced to sew her mouth shut to keep them closed and, and seal the problem. And then she's still in the house. If you want to stop her... No, I'm sorry, she blamed the mom. Yeah, she, she blamed the mom. The mom was, yeah. was full of... Because they've, spirits, spirits, they've seen yeah. the mom yes. at this point. Yes. Because yes. like, the Ouija board tells them mother's coming. Yeah. Says, run, mother's coming. Yep. And rather than run, they pick up the planchette and look through it. Yep. And oh, that would explain my yeah. other note, which about it's, you know, if a Ouija board tells you to run, run, don't ask it questions. That's what I had. But yeah, they look through the planchette to see the mom. And then Paulina says, mom was possessed by these evil spirits. Mm-hmm. And she sewed up my sister's mouth. You cut the sewing on my sister's mouth. She'll be able to help you stop my mother. Yep. So they go back to the house to try to find this secret in the basement. And which, then they 
you get the Trevor's death like telegraphed a mile away. Yeah, he dies in the pool, right? Yeah. And then he's in the room and he he's wet and then he disperses in the Yeah. I thought that was a kind of an okay effect. Well, okay effect, but his death was Look, I'm trying obvious. to find something <laughs> anything here. I agree with you. It's an okay effect, but his death was telegraphed, boring, predictable. Yeah. Pete doesn't even make it to the house. He gets, like, I think he gets uh, taken over before they assemble, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I know they see him and, like, he turns around and he's got the opaque eyes mm. and now since he, like, vanishes or something. That's Trevor, actually. Yeah. Oh, that was Trevor. That was Sorry. Trevor. Yeah. What's the difference? Up. Yeah. But it leaves you with... <laughs> They're both Denny from the room, like I said. <laughs> they were just fused back into one over in, in the room universe. Towards the end, you're left with Lane and Sarah trying to get this taken care of. And they go to Nana again. No, Nana tells them. Oh, it's Nana who says you need to cut open the. No, it's Lynche who tells them to to cut open. No, because yeah, they what cut did Nana the. Say? They they cut the the strings oh. on the body. Mother shows up. Yes. And then Doris, the physical embodiment of Doris, screams at her. Mother dissipates. Right. And then shit's still going crazy. So they go back to Lynche and say, "WTF?" Right. You know why is it still coming for us? And that's when Lynche reveals that you know oh, I was, I'm you know, in she, on it, fuckers. And, yeah. <laughs> I was doing my sister a solid all these years later. And she's going to be nice to me from now on. And that's yeah. when they go. And that's when they go. Yes. And that's when they talk to Nona. Who's and, no help. And, well, no. She's the one who says that the reason this is still happening is because there's an existing connection between the body and the board. And that you can't destroy one or the other by itself. You need to destroy yeah, both to at the same both. time. And that should sever the spiritual connection. Thereby, the spirit won't be able to come back to you. It's a fair plan. Though... So, you are right. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah, they go back. They show up at the house. The one sister crawls into the other room and... Which is weirdly lit. Yeah. I don't even remember whether there's, there's like light in there. I'm like, where the hell is that light coming from? Yeah. Yeah, and then... Because like, if there's a window in there... You would know about Somebody would have noticed, oh, what's this window? Oh, bodies. You know? I mean... <laughs> yeah, and then we see a physical manifestation of Doris. Right. Now... This is a good time to mention that there were actually apparently significant reshoots of this movie, mm-hmm. where it tested poorly, so they did reshoots to try and fix it. This is the good. We're version. talking about the reshot <laughs> version <laughs> where they tried to write the ship. Oh. Wow! And in the original version, apparently Doris's appearance was half of her face was burned and I guess partly skeletal. And there's a reference to it in the attic sequence. One of the dolls you see has a half burned face, and hmm. that was supposed to be. A visual cue setting up that Doris has a half-burned face. Instead, what we got in the reshoots was she's in this kind of rotting body with red eyes. She looks less like Linda Blair in The Exorcist and more like Linda Blair in Repossessed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 not terrible, but it's just like yeah, <laughs> yeah, that. So, but then they're they whip out the I forget. Oh God, I should have watched this again before we. I just couldn't make myself do it. But they're then they're in the basement, and she's got the board out, and they're doing something on the board. Lane is by the boiler. Sarah got pulled into the secret room. Lane's like, crap, Doris is totally going to kill my sister. I know if I use the board, she'll be obligated to respond. So she starts using the Ouija to draw right. no. Doris, Doris out of out. the secret room. And Doris which works. grabs her arm but, while she yeah. has it on the planchet and starts wrenching it. Mm-hmm. And, and then slowly taking her over. Lena's eyes go no Start to go opaque, her, yeah. She gets all like gaunt and dark. And that's when <laughs> Debbie, Debbie is back. Her spirit shows up to save the day. Grabs the hand, forces her to, to release the planchette. Sarah comes back out of the secret room with the body. 
she tosses the body in just as Lane throws the board in. So both the body and the board burn at the same time. That's right. Yep. And then... Yeah, Doris all I screams. have is, ha, 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 the good ghost shows up for no reason. Then, then, yep. Dor- then Doris screams <laughs> and, like, totally, like, Hiroshima shatters herself against the wall. Oh, that's right, yeah, there was the... Yeah, just, she just goes, poof, and just, like, a black imprint on the wall. Which was a callback yeah. to something else. Well, it kind of happens to her mother, doesn't it? When they dispel her mother. Yeah, they the dispel her mother. She, she's yeah. She... yeah, and then the movie ends, which is the best part. Well, it lends itself up to, is it really over? Because, like, everyone's fine. Like, who's left alive is fine. Kind of sad. And doesn't the planchette show up? The somewhere? planchette shows yeah. up. Well, we get Lane flossing her teeth again, again, which was a setup to what Isabel was doing when her mouth was yep. stone set, which, again, feels like one of those, like, worst self-congratulatory screener moments. I'm going to juxtapose this mouth stone we shut with flossing. I'm a genius. But she finishes flossing her teeth, goes in the bedroom. Planchette is sitting there, slowly puts the planchette to the eye. The camera kind of pulls in a bit. Speaking and then smash cut to black. Yep. Which, you know... Okay. And we're free! (laughs) (laughs) It's just bad. Everything about it's bad. They didn't even really try. I don't feel bad now that I think about it, criticizing it. Because they didn't, they couldn't possibly have cared that much when they were making it. Mm -hmm. They were like, we've got this money, we've got this basic plot, we know how these things work, you know how these things work. Let's just get through this together. I feel it was a big movie of, like, one takes. Yeah. We got it! Close it up. Wait, do I need to redo that? I feel, like, I feel like I said, no, it's done. It's perfect. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it made a bazillion dollars. Over a hundred million dollars. I'm, I'm 50 just... domestic, I think. Yeah, a hundred million worldwide. Well, it's, it's a Blue Mouse production, right? Yep. Five million budget. Do we know what came out right before it? No. Because I bet that probably influenced it. It probably had a good Blue Mouse come out. Everyone was like, this is great. What else are they going to put out? Oh, this. Let's go. Oh, what have I done? <laughs> I think a lot of it was probably just name recognition coupled with mm-hmm. the ad campaign was based entirely around the teen characters. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, it's a horror movie for teens. It was PG-13. So it was open to kind of the maximum amount of audience who can get in. So. The PG-13 thing probably contributed a quite a bit to it. Yeah. And one of the things that helped after the fact, and this is where Mike Flanagan comes in, was I didn't find this out until recently. I was watching an interview with the producer's Brad Fuller and Andrew Form from Platinum Dunes, who worked on it in conjunction with Blumhouse, but they brought in Mike Flanagan to help on Ouija 1 to kind of help just punch up some scares. Really? Yep. They just mentioned it kind of offhand, and that's partly how he got the deal for Ouija 2. When he walked in, it was clearly the smartest man in the room. Yeah, of course they want to bring him back. So one other quick note on Ouija 1 transitioning to Ouija 2 is we mentioned that Jason Blum was the producer on this, and apparently he keeps receipts because on the press tour for Hush... There was an interview with Jason Bloom and Mike Flanagan with Culture Crypt. And all of a sudden in the interview, they start segueing into Ouija. And Jason Bloom says, all right, changing topics. I know the first Ouija was not your favorite movie. The interviewer replied, how do you know that, Jason Bloom? I remember. I'm aware. <laughs> Culture Crypt. You're aware? Jason Bloom. I remember certain things that you wrote about it. <laughs> so he keeps receipts. And then he says, and I'll say this to you. It was not our finest hour. I will say, for instance, I feel like Hush is a million times better than the first Ouija. As a result, we went to the director and producer of Hush and Oculus and said, can you help us with a second Ouija movie? And my personal opinion is, they killed it. I thought the interesting thing, Jason Blum clearly kept an eye on who thought what of Ouija 1. So what you're saying is we now officially are never getting an interview with Jason Blum. Uh, not us, no. He knows what we think. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I defended all those paranormal activity movies, man. I, it's like the creature in Jason Blum fixates. It's like, 
<laughs> He's going to send us a box of Jason trinkets. Jason Bloom, trade! Trade, trade Jason Bloom! Trade! trade. <laughs> so obviously they're going to make a sequel of this because the return on investment for this was ridiculous. They went to Mike Flanagan for it, and Mike Flanagan talked to Jason Bloom, and he said, you know, I'm not sure it's really my bag, you know. And Jason Blum, not in so many words, but basically said, you can do what you want so long as it has the word Ouija on it. <laughs> and Flanagan said, you know, there's things I'd like to do, but, you know, PG-13 horror, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's my thing. And Jason Blum's counter to that apparently was, adult teens deserve good horror. And oh. Flanagan's point was, you know what? You're right. <laughs> and so he agreed to do Ouija Origin of Evil. And, and it's, it's amazing. Like, it's like a miracle happened. <laughs> It's usually the reverse. Usually the first movie is great, and you get the sequel, like, what's this horseshit? Yeah. And it's the exact opposite! Yeah, well, but for something like Ouija, normally the sequel is like, what's the Friends List? What the hell was that movie? Unfriended. Unfriended. And I haven't seen Unfriended 2, but I'm going to cast some aspersions and assume that it's not as good as Ouija Origin of Evil. Like, normally you get a sequel or something that's surprising that makes a bunch of money, you shit out the sequel that's... It's a cash grab. It's just trying to grab what last bit of money you can wring out of the situation. And whatever, what you just said, credit to Jason Bloom. They yeah. decided to make a movie out of this one. Mm-hmm. And Great. they did. It's it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. They brought in Mike Flanagan to take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. <laughs> and succeeded. And succeeded. And no joke, off the top of my head, I sincerely think this is probably the biggest gulf in quality between any two concurrent films in a series that I can think of. And that's not even just saying because Ouija 1 is terrible, but just the gulf between these two movies is that significant in terms of quality. Yeah, I can't think of anything else like that. Maybe Sinister and Sinister 2. <laughs> I, I don't really believe that. I was just trolling there. Um, yeah. Somewhere Karen Foy almost was like, hey, oh. <laughs> we'll get to that eventually. Yeah, we'll, 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 at this point, we have to it's do a coming. Sinister Sinister 2 episode, I guess. But yeah, and part of why Flanagan agreed as he wanted to, he says, is the opening scene in Ouija Origin of Evil, which is the scene with the family doing the, the seance. It's a great scene. He was really interested in seances and this thing and how that kind of mechanic worked and a family doing that. Yeah, so this movie, for folks who haven't seen it, the Ouija Origin of Evil, as the name implies, is based around the family who were essentially, well, one of the daughters was the antagonist of Ouija 1. So we have Mm -hmm. the mother, who's played by Elizabeth Reeser, who was in Twilight, and Mike Flanagan saw in an indie film called Sweetland, which he really liked. And then there's the two daughters. There's Annalise Basso who was the younger version of Paulina. Karen Gian in... Yeah, she's Paulina, who is the Lin Shay in the mm-hmm. original Ouija. She was the young Karen Gian in Oculus. And then there is Lulu Wilson, who is Doris Zander, who is the evil spirit in the first Ouija, yeah. the, the titular DZ. So you go in knowing that she's going to be a problem by the end of this movie. Yeah. Which doesn't take away from it. It's so hard to not just talk of this in, in awe and wonder. <laughs> and it's not... Like, it's it's a good movie. It's not... I don't think it's like his best effort or anything. It's no. no, certainly very good. But the contrast makes it fascinating. Yeah, like it's. Yeah. I'd say it's better than Before I Wake. It's not as good as Hush. It's probably Agreed. right in that absentia level. I wouldn't say yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's fair. his. It's not his best, but I would say it's probably his most fun. Particularly mm. if you're a horror fan and 
you know what he's homaging in this. Yep. Yeah. It's just so much fun to watch all the little nods to things and the visual tricks they put in. That's what he set out to do is he set out to make this an homage to all of the horror that he grew up on and loved. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. the four movies he specifically references are The Changeling, The Changeling, The Exorcist, Watcher in the Woods, and the other one, <laughs> Poltergeist. Oh, yes, yes. We all, uh, Toby Hooper. I remember so. the ad campaign of all the people back in 1977 watching the other one and passing out. <laughs> <on the stages. laughs> so you that, know that one, but you're not prepared for the, the other, other one. <laughs> Rated R. The Changeling was probably my favorite horror movie growing up. I like we've talked on this pod before. I was a big wuss. I did not watch horror movies. They scared me, man. I could. I could barely handle a particularly tough Scooby-Doo episode for most of my childhood, but I loved The Changeling, which is an incredibly creepy ghost story starring George C. Scott. And I, I, I meant to watch that before we did this, and I didn't get a chance. But I did watch Watcher in the Woods, which I had never heard Which of. I've never seen, but I've been meaning to watch because Betty Davis is in it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's the director. I watched another movie. It's the guy who directed Incubus, of all things, did oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so I've been meaning to watch Watcher in the Woods, but I haven't gotten to well, it. Well, it was designed to be Disney's Exorcist. Okay. Disney's yeah. answer to The Exorcist. It's, it's not. <laughs> and I haven't even seen The Exorcist, and they can tell you that. Um, we are losing so much crap. <laughs> First to Gordon. How The Exorcist. Well, I have reasons I haven't seen The Exorcist. Okay. I just have this image of us, like, eventually being at cons and people actually coming up to us at the cons to talk about the podcast and all this. They go, oh, Eric, oh, it's great. Oh, Nick, it. Jake. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because some of the people at these cons are going to like found footage, and I'll be able to talk to them, and you won't. But you're not going to talk to them. They're going to be the ones down the hall staring at you from the corner holding a camera. Isn't that everybody at a horror convention? <laughs> you know, I ran into this cosplayer. Had this really cool homemade costume with his red and green striped sweater, and he had all these knives on his fingers. I don't know where he got that from. It was so creative. A nightmare on what now? <laughs> Freddie Keebler, who's that? All right, so now I'm going to tell you why I haven't seen extras. So, so growing up on Tuesday nights, my mom bowled. My mom hates horror movies, so there was no real opportunity to watch them when she was around. We just weren't going to. Back when I used to watch Buffy, she'd walk in and be like, what the hell are you watching? You know, it'd be Buffy. And Buffy was not scary, but whatever. So, lady from my church and a couple of friends and my brother, we would watch these horror movies. We called it Fright Night. And we'd sit around, and one of the movies that we talked about once was Exorcist. And Maureen, lady from the church, refused to see it. She said, there's something inherently wrong with that movie. I don't think it's a good thing to see. I think it's, it's not okay. You know, even for a horror movie. And I just kind of took that to heart and never really watched. I mean, I never had a lot of super desire to see it. I mean, I know all the tropes. I feel Mm. like it's one of those things where you know so much from tropes and whatnot that it would have like it would. I need a young priest and an old priest. (laughs) So I've just never sat down and watched. I almost did for this. I almost did. But what it occurred to me is eventually because I keep talking about this stuff this stuff that everybody else has seen and I haven't, y'all are going to want to do an episode where it's yes. just me watching shit that everybody else has seen and I haven't. Because, like, I haven't seen the original Poltergeist. Episode oh, wow. XX, okay. where Eric and Nick educate Jake. Well, <laughs> I, I was no. real specific about Poltergeist. They said, what happens? There's a scary-ass clown in it. And me, you know, young I'm me out. were like, peace. peace. Yeah. No, but we... I did see the changeling and I loved it. We've got a long list of topics for the pod, a long, 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 long mm-hmm. list, but Exorcist is real high on one I'd like to do, and, and the fact that you haven't seen it is 
part of that because I'm really interested in getting your reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's Definitely. why I didn't watch it for this. But I did, like I said, I watched Watcher in the Woods, which is the story of a family moving into a house and creepy stuff happens. What an original premise. Although I guess back in <laughs> the 70s it wasn't so bad. And then stuff happens. They discover that these kids, like this girl has been missing since they were kids and you find out what happened to her. She disappeared. And it turns out to be kind of a sci-fi solution. Like mm. sci-fi, like there's a monster that when they were doing this ritual got sucked into our reality and she got pushed into theirs. And hmm. There's three different endings. There was a theatrical ending and then there's an extended cut. and None of it's available. You have to buy it on DVD or I watched it on YouTube. Okay. Um, no, I saw ads for it. I've been meaning to see it but never got around to it. But I can see why it's an influence to this because what it is is all-ages horror from the 70s. Yeah. Like Exorcist mm-hmm. is not all-ages. No. Poltergeist was PG-13. Yeah, Watcher in the Woods is definitely from I've seen online is a like childhood touchstone for a lot of people. Yeah, horror. it's yeah. absolutely it's one of those like we've talked about what got us into horror in our first horror movies like Changeling was one for me because I'm old. Um, <laughs> but so I watched it; it was interesting. And having watched that and then watching this, you can see you can see what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It looks like seventies horror. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Oh, the set pieces are amazing. Yeah, well, literally, from the beginning, we get the old-school Universal logo. Which I loved. Yep, and we get we just got done talking a little while ago about Dr. Sleep, which has the old-school Warner Brothers logo, Mm -hmm. too, so kind of a repeat thing of his. But yeah, and then we get the the title card. Yep, we get an old-school title card for Ouija Origin of Evil, and there's all the... And when I caught, I actually caught it. I didn't look it up. Since it's digitally filmed, you wouldn't normally get this, but they added the cigarette burns you get in the top right corner... For real films. changes. For real changes, yeah. yeah. They also like, warps, I saw it, I was like, yes! It also awesome. warps the audio in those scenes. Yeah, and puts dust on the film, quote-unquote. Yeah, it was shot digitally, but they had a bunch of, like, vintage lenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, what they use lenses in effect called the split diopter, which is this very, I associate it with Brian De Palma, but it's been used in a lot of stuff where there's, you know, two things in various depths, but both in frame. They, they specifically um, wanted to give it a feel like it was filmed in 1971. Yeah, there's all these, like Jake mentioned, there's all these movie touchstones that he used tonally for it, all these visual ones. And there's an audio one, which is, again, there's a score by the Newton Brothers. This time they're kind of aping a lot of old Jerry Goldsmith scores. And they mentioned like the big one he suggested to him was the score for The Omen. Um, and they use that one of the things about the scores is they use the music in scenes to heighten tension and they don't use audio stings. Yeah, it's just score. Yeah. I would and, like to say for the record real quick that we've barely gotten into this movie and we've already gone more in-depth and interesting than the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> the credits are more in-depth and interesting than... Correct. I literally have in my notes the title card alone makes this better than Ouija 1. <laughs> Although there is, there is a thing right up front that kind of felt out of place for me and that was the sign in front of their house. Fortune teller. Yeah. yeah. But the way the sign was done looked very modern to me. Oh, just the like layout the of fonts, it? Okay. the layouts, kind of the, yeah. the, 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 what do you call it, the graphic design of it. Okay. Yeah. It I, didn't bother me or anything, but when you see the scene, like, that doesn't look sick. Didn't take me out, but I respect it. And that, but this is three seconds into the movie, yeah. and I probably, I wouldn't have remembered if I didn't make a note, which is just, that's a pretty nice sign for the 60s. <laughs> yeah. And just one quick thing on the score, too. I yes. meant to mention this in our Mike Flanagan, the previous episode we did. With the exception of Absentia, all the movies we watched for that episode were scored by the Newton Brothers, as is this one. And mm-hmm. when you watch those movies kind of in quick succession, you really appreciate the diversity of talent of the Newton Brothers, realizing that all of those movies, which all have such a varied musical voice, are all done by the same two guys. And they're called the Newton Brothers, and they're not actually brothers, but 
it's really impressive seeing the work they did on this. So that, just something I meant to mention in the previous episode that Mike Flanagan has really surrounded him with impressive talent. And they've mm-hmm. done a lot of good scores for other things, but their scores for the Flanagan movies, I think, are particularly good. Yep. Yeah. So it starts out, you know, in the the seance sequence. Yep. Yep. It's Katie Siegel and Sam Anderson. Yep. Katie Siegel. Get her cameo in. I did not recognize her the first time through. That's fair. Yeah. Like I did. With the hair, that's understandable. Yes. <laughs> I was just so excited to see Sam Anderson show up. Yep. <laughs> it's like Sam Anderson, yay! Later there's a cutscene in this that makes it a little more sad, but they introduce the family by the seance. And it also introduces the concept that, yeah, they're hucksters to a degree, but they're doing it for noble purpose. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're doing it to, you know, make money, but they're more doing it to help people. And that's what they try to do in this scene. And yeah, they help do. people achieve closure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they show a bunch of fun techniques. And when they, they talk about the techniques he uses, I listened to the commentary track on this. And one of the fun things is one of the things they do is the candle blows out. Yeah. And what they determined is that if you let a candle burn for a little while and then blow it out automatically, it sprays wax everywhere. <laughs> uh, which they said they learned in the very first take that that was a bit of a problem. Uh, and I thought that was kind of fun. But it establishes everything so well. It tells you right up front, we're gonna, this is going to be kind of a vintage movie. We're going to give you this family. And then we can talk more about it. But it's 45 minutes before anything supernatural happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I made a note of it watching this. And I'm like, it's been 45 minutes and nothing weird has happened until now. But it's not a problem. No. You're not like, when the fuck is something going to happen? You're loving every minute Right. Of it. The first 45 minutes of this movie is a movie about a single mom who's lost her husband trying to raise two girls. Again, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it a lot anytime we talk about Flanagan, he can really paint a scene and tell you everything you know before they say it. So, like, after the seance, Doris is sleeping, kind of asleep on the couch. The mom comes down and says, all right, come on, let's go up. And as they go up, you notice this picture right behind the couch. It's very clear. The mom, the two daughters, and the dad. Mm-hmm. It is not that old of a picture. They're all about close to the age they are now. Yeah. But he's missing, and he looks very happy in the photo. And so it's like, oh, this is not a he left, this is a he died. Right. And then for those in the back seats who didn't catch that, they immediately go into her praying to her dad who has died. Yeah, but, but they also, that he did learn a lesson from Before I Awaken that nobody had grief hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, but speaking of that scene, this is very important. Doris and the mom have a conversation about... People in heaven talk to other people. Why doesn't daddy talk to me? And they have this back and forth about why that might be a problem. And then she's like, well, why don't you pray with us anymore? Mm-hmm. If you look at just the words, everything the mom is saying, beat for beat, is very, you know, oh, I do, and this is that. And but her body language, the mm-hmm. way she acts, the way that maybe she's directed even, the whole delivery, it's very clearly she has lost her faith. Yes. She has lost her husband. She believes he is just gone. She no longer is praying. She's given up on her faith and the idea of spirits and and life. And she's just in a dark place. But she is holding it together and saying all the right things for her daughter. Because no matter how bad off she is inside, she's a good mom. Yeah. Yeah. And And also a terrifically delivered. She's very very good. She was amazing. And we both had takeaways from that scene that, you know, my read for that particular scene was, you know, Lulu Wilson's praying. She says, you know, mom, why don't you pray anymore? And what I was waiting for her was to look down at her and say, my darling, our movie is going to make $15 million less (laughs) domestically. (laughs) 
than Ouija one. I, I, I need you to look mommy in the eyes. I need you to look mommy in the eyes. God is dead. <laughs> I mean, a case can be made. I, you know, it's funny. That, that scene didn't impact me quite as much, but for an entirely stupid reason. I was fixated because right before they show her lying on the couch, and we had a very similar couch. So the second, oh, really? I, the second I saw that couch, I wanted to lie down and watch cartoons. <laughs> and I was still dealing with my warm fuzzies from that. You just wanted to watch NASA bits like she does throughout the movie. <laughs> but yeah, so that couch was like, oh man. I mean, ours was a little bit different, but it was, a, it was that same kind of style. It's not like a big fluffy couch from now. It was just a, a sitting couch. Mm-hmm. And oh, I just wanted to lie down and watch cartoons, man. And I just, <laughs> like it hit me in the face when I saw it. <laughs> so, I mean, kudos, you know, to him for doing that. And then it's, it's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. And then she says goodnight to the daughter, and the daughter's sneaking out the window in very yep. classic style. Yeah. And goes to the... Wait, wait, the, wait. Teenager with lots of hormones, and her father's died being rebellious? You don't say. Yeah, it's cliche, yeah. but it's cliche for a reason. <laughs> well, then, then, then she goes over to her friend's house, which is the most mod house. Dude, yeah, oh. the door! The door! <laughs> the I saw door the door, and I was like, oh my god, this is the door for a house that holds orgies once a week with, like, 40-year-old swingers. <laughs> <All right. laughs> It's all about show up, make sure to bring your keys, you won't be leaving with them. <laughs> Is that what the daughter should have said when everyone came in? So, I don't think you want to sit on that furniture. <laughs> <laughs> like, this we, is just clearly... We haven't the, mopped up yet. This is clearly the door of parents who fuck, alright? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know they're at some key party. They're totally at a key, key party! party. There's yes. no way they're not at a key party. But it's funny, because that, that scene ends, you know, they find the Ouija board, mm-hmm. and it's the exact 60s box. Yep. They bring it upstairs. I think it was upstairs. I forget exactly where. That's like I think it was room. up to her room. Yeah, this goes into my favorite sequence of the movie, which is the first Ouija board sequence. <laughs> Betty. Yeah. Yes. Betty. It's, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. This <laughs> oh whole God. sequence of them and explaining how the Ouija board works. Well, first off, it's shot gorgeously. Yes. It's, you know, they're in this dark room, but they have this blue lighting coming from the outside. And I guess they have a pool, so it, there's this mm-hmm. wavy blue. Gorgeously shot. And just in terms of performances and the editing, it's so perfect. Mm -hmm. Just the rhythm of the scene where they have the one side character, Betty, who's doing this for the first time and is just perpetuating. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Is there a spirit here? Yes. Oh, my God. Are we there? Okay. Oh, my God. Are you in the room with us? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so much fun. And the payoff for that sequence, too, when yeah. goes in and she lets out this enormous ah! so, Yeah, I, I just love everything about that scene. My note for that is just that's a top three funniest jump scare I've ever seen. Yes, I laughed. Sincerely, yeah. I laughed so hard. And he, it was intended to be, be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't like jump scares. I, I didn't even, I wasn't even scared by it. I just found it hilarious. Yeah, no. He talks about it on the commentaries, like, oh, I hate it when you throw a cat in the room or whatever, you know, and all these false jump scares, but this was fun. (laughs) It is. It's meant to be a send-up, and it works. And her just, that long scream is just... just protracted, like, everyone else has stopped, she's still going. (laughs) Yeah, it's just great. Of course, the mom catches them, calls their parents. Paulina's, or Lena, is what they use her a lot of times. Yeah, Lena. Mom shows up and finds out about the Ouija board, and she's like, well, maybe we can use it in spice of our act. Which. Yeah, her daughter has an offhand comment about you should consider using it as part of the act. And then, of course, Mom Alice has this sees it. Chin stroking moment. Yeah, mm. Sees it at the, uh, the store and gets a copy. At which point, she takes it home and immediately starts putting it into tool use. How can I use this as a tool? And she puts the uh, magnetic paint on the bottom mm. of it. Yep. So, like, the, uh, the magnets. She gets on magnets her, that she puts on her yep. thighs. Yep. To allow mm. her to. Yep. And then she immediately breaks one. No, all three rules. She just knows she's doing all three rules, she's, but she's blatantly breaking two of them. Where she like she doesn't say goodbye when she's done and she's doing it alone while she's playing with it. 
And what happens is it immediately turns out that I think it's less to do about the board, honestly, in this movie. Is that while she's using the board, it becomes clear that Doris is a medium. She is clearly a gateway. And but the while, rules, Nick. The rules. Did it move? Thank you. Anyway. Same rules. <laughs> Same house. <laughs> no, she's breaking the rules. That's true. But that's, here's the key. This is why the rules are important. Because it, it implies why they're being punished. No, it is. Because if, if just using the board, period, is the problem, then it's you accidentally walked into dangerous territory and now you're being punished for it. Whereas if you are rules but and you disregard them... That's what happens. If you use rules and disregard them and that's why things turn on you, then it's your hubris. It's your pride. It's your lack of respecting the situation. It becomes your fault, not just you traveled into bad territory. It's all about blame. That's it, why the rules matter. In this particular movie, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Or this whole pod is going to be us having this argument. What's funny about the, the magnets on her knees and all the yeah. movie is they actually had a person under the table with magnets to spell the stuff out. Oh, nice. But the problem is because of the way magnets work and the lag and all this stuff, he would spell out just random goofy shit because it wasn't <laughs> showing up right. And apparently the actors and actresses had a hard time keeping it keeping together. It, keeping it together when he's, you know, spelling... He the Q, and yeah. they say Q instead of, like, D. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I also, it's around, around then that the daughter dimes out the whole family to Father Elliot from E.T., yeah, this is the first appearance of Henry Thomas in a Mike Flanagan film. And he's introduced with that big rotating shot, which I, I can't think of a specific movie that uses it. But when you see it, it'd be like, oh, it's another really awesome callback. This sort of rotating, like, 180 degree shot that pans around him as he comes into frame. You know, and what's, what's funny about that is because normally it's the snitches who get stitches. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, it's the snitch's sister who gets, gets the, the stitches. stitches. So... Uh, I guess it's the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they start incorporating this act, the the daughter, uh, Lulu Wilson. Yeah, Doris proves that she can use the Ouija board successfully. Yeah. And I, I love the first scene where the two daughters are upstairs and she's using the Ouija downstairs and the daughter starts answering. Yes. And then later on she comes down and says, Hi, I think that's when she That's when they introduce high friend. friend. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think it's also the only time they say it in this. Uh, it's the only time I wrote it down. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's the only time it comes up. Yeah, she doesn't say it. The board says it, too. Yeah, right? the board says yeah. spells out high yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's funny. It's one of those things on the commentary. Flanagan mentions it and says that. It's just, oh, it's just a little callback to the first movie. Mm-hmm. And it, what I realized listening to that is he didn't have to do any of that. Nope. He didn't, I didn't, he didn't even have to twist the end to make it fit. Nope. They just said make a movie, and he mm-hmm. tried to make a movie that fit with the first one. Yeah, they just yeah. said make a movie with the word Ouija in the title. Yep. And all I could think is, man, couldn't just just get away from that one completely, and you'd be fine. But then we wouldn't have the miracle that is this movie. But <laughs> yeah, and this is about when scary stuff starts happening. This is about forty-five minutes in. We've met the daughter, the daughter's boyfriend, Father Elliot from ET, <laughs> Father Tom, Father Thomas. Um, you know the mom. I don't think they've gone on the date yet. No. That's it's around this right? time, yeah. We're, we're getting up to that. This is when the first scary thing happens, because once she starts rubbing her neck. What happens is, she's using the, the board, just as, a, as a, a means of communicating from the grave. And then, she goes so far as to let the entity use her voice. At which point, it seems to have kind of like this consistent hold on her neck. 
And then it's not too long after that she goes and looks in the mirror and it jumps yeah, into her. Because right? she goes down and says, "Why did my neck hurt?" And doesn't really answer her. But she picks the head up just to see if it's there. And she, she sees she looks in her eye. Yeah, yeah. She like, looks into a. So she's like, mirror. "It's behind me, but I can't see what it's doing." So she goes to the mirror and there it is, this huge, large, almost like oily black ghoul of a thing holding her by the neck. Yep. She screams and it takes the opportunity to go right inside of her. Yeah. You, you know who that was? Not in that scene. That it's way. not saying because it's, it's Doug Jones who plays the demon. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, he plays one of the ghouls or multiple ghouls. I don't think he played that one. I thought he was. I, I think, thought he was the Marcus demon. demon. Yeah, it, was that the Marcus demon? Yeah, that, yeah the, that was Marcus. I think that would be him. Yep. Right. I think it was anyway. Uh, the impression I got from what I read was all of his scenes were cut from the movie. All of his scenes as him because he's the doctor, but he's still he's still in the monster. As, I could be wrong. That's not the way I read it. But yeah, but no, for, for the most part, yeah. The, the any scene where they use his face is gone for certain, and that may very much well have been him. Could have been, yeah. The, yeah. the main thing I remember from that sequence is that's when Doris, played by Lulu Wilson, is given Grave Encounters disease. Oh, the mouth by ex- yeah. extending her mouth yeah. and giving her the. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she caught the Grave Encounters disease. It's right after that that her mood changes quick. Yeah, she's on the playground. Oh, that's a rough in the, scene. In the omen scene. Yeah. Where she's on the playground and two boys are teasing her. Because she's just standing there being creepy. Yeah. And one this time them, for legit. One of them pulls out a slingshot and goes to shoot her. And she see, turns and just looks at him. He slowly turns it and then off camera you hear him scream because he shot himself in the face. Thank God it's off camera. Yeah, it's a rough, <laughs> it's a rough moment. <laughs> it's but It's hard. It's such a call. It, to me, it felt like a huge callback to the omen. Yes. And then not too long after that, the mom and Elliot from E.T. go on the date. And it's a great exchange. The like, date that's is a terrific scene. It yes, might be are. my favorite scene in the they, movie. They take the moment to not only discuss the daughters, but they also address the tension between them. They clearly are attracted to each other. Yep. And there's that one line that goes, well, maybe in another life. Maybe in another life. Yep. Yeah, because he's made his choice and he's, he's Father Tom. Like, yeah. He cares for her. He cares for the daughters. But it's just not going to happen. That line was going to get called back to at the end and they didn't think it worked. So they stopped. I think it's better just in the moment. Yeah, fine. Yeah. But I, I love that scene because they're both such talented actors and it mm-hmm. just works well. The second time I watched it, I got a little fixated on the detail in that scene, which is the wine bottle. Because, well, they showed it and it kind of looked like the label looked like Chateau Montalania, which is a, a famous winery in California, which is, it's actually, if you see the movie Bottle Shock, it's about them winning a wine contest. It's not that. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up and I, I kind of paused it and walked up to my screen and took a picture and blew up the picture and figured out what it was. And it's it's a prop from a, a place called the Hand Prop Room in L.A. And normally I wouldn't care about this stuff, except when you look at it, it's spelled C-H-A-T-A-U. And the, the wine is D-E-G-A-U-T. And it's a Bordeaux. So if you say it out loud, it's Chateau de Go Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously, it's just a de- it's just supposed to look like a wine bottle. You're yeah. not supposed They're to pay that much it. attention yeah. to it. But I, because I I always like that wine and I like that movie, it caught my eye. And I just and then when I said, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> and I just like that. So yeah, they're 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 getting you know having their emotional moment over a nice crisp glass of Chateau de Go Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, props to the the hand prop room in L.A. who have a kind of a fun website with all their props on it. They have a bottle of Chateau de Go Bordeaux, and if you look at it, it's, it's like 19 or 2002, so I went back and looked at the date, and the date is right, because it's like 1962 on the, the date of the bottle. So, so anyway, nice attention to detail in the movie. Plus, that's funny. It's just funny. <laughs> is that the moment uh, when they're in the date when Lena finds Doris doing the spirit writing? No. Is that too soon? 
It's too soon because the next big scene with Doris is when she talks to the boyfriend. Oh yeah, and gives him the speech. Yeah, because the boyfriend comes over to hang out with the with the daughter, and they had this really nice moment where it's they're being good kids. Like she snuck him over, and he's not supposed to be there. But they have like their first kiss. Yeah, which is taken from Rear Window. It's a shot for shot remake of the scene in Rear Window. Nice. Uh, I thought I had it. Yeah, the kiss scene is a shot for shot recreation of the kiss scene in Rear Window. Which is Flanagan's favorite on-screen kiss. Nice. And Not. it's a great kiss, and it's lovely, and they're sweet, and then he gets up to leave. And then? And then he runs into Doris. <laughs> and she gives him probably my favorite... It's so... One of my favorite parts of the movie. Unnerving. And she just delivers it in such a casual... Yeah. T- and that's that's what got her the job, actually. That was her so monologue? So, all of the kids who auditioned, that was the monologue they had to give. Which I tell Ooh. you, is a lot... Yeah. To think about. Yeah. Um, Those poor kids that went home. <laughs> but, I'm broken and didn't get the job. <laughs> I know things I didn't want to know. But all the other kids read it and tried to creep it up. Tried and to really make it creepy. It. And she just read it in her normal kind of sing-songy voice. This is this. That's that. And he was like, sold. <laughs> you know, and she she was very good, you know, for kid actor. I thought mm-hmm. she was terrific. Oh, she's, oh, she's great. Yeah. yeah. But that particular moment, it's it's chilling in a way that... It's so unnerving. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you compare that to what's the, I'm using air quotes here, scares in the first movie. And the scares in the first movie are all just jump scares. Ah, it's a creepy face or, you know, glossed over eyes or whatever. Ghosts you can't see. All fairly standard stuff. Not, I'm not going to crap on that movie anymore. Overused cheap tropes. Yeah, yeah. It, the movie, again, had that agreement that you know what we are and this is what whatever. But this one just does something, it's so powerful a scene, so creepy, and such a finesse move. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love the way they did it. I love the look on the doofus's face. Originally, <laughs> when they shot it, they wanted to cut back and Maybe his name is Mikey? Mike? It's Mike's the matter. <laughs> no, In this is. movie, yes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it is Mikey. Yeah. Uh, actor's name is Parker Mac. The yeah. character's name is Mike. It, originally, they had it cutting back and forth. And they decided, nope, and they just, just stay her. on Lulu the entire it's, time. That's and it's so effective. Choice. And to me, it's a, it's a microcosm of what makes Mike Flanagan so great. There's always these situations where he is presented with making the obvious standard choice, and he makes a different choice each time. That's exactly and it's what you almost need. always exactly what we're looking for in, I don't want to get into this debate on me, but it's what you're looking for in smart horror. I understand what you're saying. It's part of why I think these two Non-shallow are- horror. Yeah, I think these these two movies are such a, an example of the difference between... I'm going to get us in trouble. <laughs> You're going to get you in trouble. We've established it's me and him and you. <laughs> in populist horror versus smart horror. You know, in Insidious versus Babadook. Ah, Babadook. You know, and again, not saying that the popular horror no. is bad. It's fine for what it is, but it's not really trying to do anything more than be what it is. Whereas this movie is absolutely trying to be so much more than the sequel to Ouija should have been. <laughs> and it's in that one scene, I think it's just a microcosm you, you, of the whole thing. You go to Ouija to eat popcorn. You go to Ouija Awakening of the Evil from Beyond to, uh, <laughs> to drink your Chateau <laughs> de Gaulle Bordeaux, Just man. sit on the edge of your seat and be like, what am I devouring here? It's not food. This is the Chateau de Gaulle Bordeaux of horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it escalates from there. Like, like a horror movie do. It starts to... Start doing what you have to do with horror movies. He talks a lot about jump scares on it. And he doesn't like jump scares. He has a couple. 
He's got uh, one big one. Yeah, he's got one, one big only complaint. one, which is funny. But he never leans into him. There aren't really big audio stings on him. He just, he shows so much restraint with this movie, with how things used to be versus how they are now. And he just does such a solid, I don't want to say perfect, it's not a perfect movie, but it's, he sets out to make this throwback movie. That's entertaining, right that's PG-13, that's creepy, it's not indulgent, it's, a period, it's yeah. a period piece, and he just, he hits every check mark he could to make this worth watching. And does it with and I, skill and a plum. And we keep harping on it. How does the sequel to Ouija be? <laughs> it makes no sense. And like, look, if it's because Jason Blum is much smarter than everybody, which you can absolutely believe. He keeps making these hugely profitable. I mean, he made $100 million on on Ouija. Clearly, he's smarter than everybody. Unfortunately, in that case, but if the fucking coins we have to give the, the ferryman to get from Ouija <laughs> to a movie this good and interesting are watching Ouija, well, I mean, that shit was worth it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you got to eat a little castor oil before your dessert to really enjoy the dessert. You know? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to get too far away from the movie because there's a lot of cool. He's starting stuff to turn up. into the bartender. <laughs> are you going to take your medicine? <laughs> <laughs> you will take the Ouija. Just fitting a <laughs> fitting a DVD copy of Ouija into your mouth. And <laughs> take your medicine. He's out there. He's making these these movies, these interesting quality movies that that have different hooks. He's taking these properties that in lesser hands would not be like as good as his Dr. Sleep was. And I, I liked it very much. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine other people kind of trying to tackle that? It just wouldn't. I mean, I can, but I don't want to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Look at the, the pedigree of King films and mm -hmm. these, you know, the hits to misses ratio. Yep. And, yeah. yeah. And it's just it's really kind of a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's talent and skill and hard work. Mm -hmm. But it feels like a miracle when you compare these two movies. And when you look at his back catalog. And again, you know, credit to Jason Bloom to go to the right guy and say, look, we've got this goofy, it wasn't our finest hour, but could you make it our finest hour? Mike Flanagan was like, yeah, all right. I'll step up to the plate. I'll step yeah. up to the plate and knock it out of the park. Yep. And again, it's not a perfect movie, but it's an entertaining film to watch. He hits his marks. I just, I, I really enjoy it. And I like where he goes. Like, even with the escalation, which can start to get goofy in horror movies where it's, you know, you have to, you go from having something creepy every 20 minutes to having something creepy every six minutes or scary every when six people minutes. actually building up body counts and, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and he's dealing with, you know, a Nazi occult doctor secret lab in the basement. You know, and pulls it off! And he pulls it off. And he has to tie it into the, the goofy-ass place where Ouija mm -hmm. was coming from with the twist that was just, I'm sure, originally written in the script as twist. All right, so let's actually get down to what the cause of the problems are here, since you, you brought the doctor. So while in the first Ouija, literally, the explanation is, the malevolent spirits. What else do you need to know? Yeah. The malevolent spirits, they like killing things. Good day. That's all you need to know. They dealt with spirits too much, they got some malevolent ones. Malevolent ones want to kill you. I wish I could say I was just being glib and, and short about that, no. but that is the no, 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 100% entire description of the situation. This one, they get into the... To, he is an ex-Nazi doctor, came over during the war, as happened with a fair number of scientists, unfortunately. And he was working at the hospital, and he was bringing home some work, he was bringing home some people, and that these people, he sewed up their mouths and took out their vocal cords so they would be silent in his, in his secret basement room. And, he did, and so what's happening is, is, is that these are the 
dead spirits of these test subjects that are wanting a voice. The thing they were denied before their deaths. And they've gone crazy. And they've gone crazy. They're insane. And that is brilliant. Because any other director, I feel, would have been like, wait, wait, wait. Nazi scientist? Oh, fuck yeah, I'm bringing back a Nazi scientist. <laughs> You're going to get Nazi ghost scientists all over this place. He's going to experiment on you. He's going to experiment on you. You're going to get turned into some weird thing. Let's do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. This isn't about him. He's dead and gone. This is about the poor souls that he tortured. Yes. You can't find rest. And I thought that was an excellent choice and really worked well. And it, it gave them proper motivation. It gave them, you know, on while they're clearly the antagonists, they're clearly the things you want to beat off from and, and stop. They. <laughs> I don't know what Nick is doing. <laughs> <laughs> Poor choice of words. Moving on. Um, one of the things you want to defeat, you you can't help but feel that the tiniest bit of sympathy for them. It's like God; ah, these things went through nasty shit. Yeah, absolutely. And the way you find out all of that is kind of neat too. With the spirit writing, yeah, yeah, she's doing spirit writing all in Polish, and the sister finds him, brings him to Father Elliot from ET, and. Um, Father Tom. He, he gets it translated. We have re- seen Henry Thomas be so diverse <laughs> in all of these films. I mean, he was Jack Torrance and Doctor Sleep. He's in, gets so much to do in my life. He's, he's, no, he's the father from Father Elliot from E.T. No. <laughs> Nothing you do matters to Jacob. <laughs> Henry Thomas. You made your bed when as a child you chose this Now movie. show me that shining finger, <laughs> goddammit. So anyway, so... <laughs> He, he gets the notes, he brings them back, or he, he meets with the sister, they mm-hmm. devise a plan, and they go and they have this seance with Doris, and it's another great creepy scene, which is a very subtle mm-hmm. reason it's creepy, and it's creepy because she just stares at him the whole damn time. Yep. And then you find out that she gave him the wrong answers because the, the spirits can read your minds yeah. and they know everything that happens in the house. So it's a nice juxtaposition of what, where they are... Kind of being scam artists to help people. This is using the exact same scam techniques, just so you think it's the father and not these spirits. Right. It's really well executed and really leads to the scary notion that not only can they see you now, they've been watching the whole time. The mm-hmm. entire time you've been in the house, they've seen you. They've been watching. They've always been here. They're yep. only interacting now because you opened the door. Yep. That's it. Right. It's a great and it's juxtaposed. The, all this exposition mm-hmm. is juxtaposed with Doris bringing the boyfriend down into the basement, mm-hmm. and it's it's the one misstep oh. I think in the film where this boyfriend he might be a bit of an okie doke and played as a bit of an okie doke, but if the girl who gave you the strangled to death speech you don't follow her into the basement says it's dark out, let's go to the basement. You say <laughs> no, Peace, I'm going home. You know what? I'll wait on the porch. You just let me know when she's here. But then. Oddly enough, when they're down there and he's reaching in there, there's that scene with her over the shoulder, which is, to my money, the scariest thing in the movie. And normally, I, the face-changing, grave encounters nonsense doesn't do anything for me. But it's the way the smile and the jerkiness to it. and It the jerky, slowly gets larger, yeah. and the head's... Uh, for whatever reason, it, it got me. And then there's the little jump scare with the... Uh, Oh, her showing skull. up next to... Oh, the skull, skull coming skull, through the wall. Because you see, it's the, he compares the skull jump scare to Jaws. Yeah. Because you don't, it's it comes not, out of the water. Well, yeah. because it, yeah, when it comes out of the, because you see it coming, and then yeah. it, the jump scares when it stops. Yep. 
and it's a good scene. But the other jump scare is right before that. Oh. It's where they do all the exposition that cuts back to her, and she's got... Oh! oh. <laughs> and it, I was upset with that. I, it, it didn't... I didn't care. It, but it, I was glad it had it. Because when he talks about it on the um, the audio the uh, commentary. commentary track, he just he cuts that and he goes, "Yeah, it's cheap. I get it." <laughs> and I laughed out loud at that. The funny thing is, is that the so she does the spirit writing. It's in Polish. They translate it, and it basically is all the exposition you would have needed for the situation. A little mm-hmm. bit like, well, it's a lot of information just kind of dropped on here. It's like the whole story. And then I thought about it, and I was like, it actually fits these things are very clear in their motivation. They want a voice. They mm-hmm. want to be heard. They want to tell their story. The whole point is they just want to be able to express. I mean, they're insane now. The most wonderful, terrible things. The most wonderful, terrible things, right. And part of that terrible, wonderful things is what happened to them. And so that's why they do the whole spirit writing journal. They're like, this is what happened. We can actually talk now. We can write now. We're putting this out there. I was like, yeah, that fits. That works well. And then things start to happen fast there. They come downstairs. The boyfriend gets hung. Mimicking from, uh, from the original. From the original. Which, yeah. Although it's also oh, it has the, the best move in that. Yeah, well, what? When he turns into a baby bouncer? And, no, no, and, no, and no, he's he bungee cord attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's like he's, <laughs> well, it's like a noose and more like a baby harness because he yeah. bounces down and plucks the sister away when yeah, she's trying to go out the front the door. Yeah. Oh, I love that effect. I was like, wow, that was nuts. <laughs> My note on that is the callback to the beginning of Ouija 1 with the hanging would be clever if that movie was worth acknowledging. <laughs> um, but it is. It's it's clever. And then she goes, so she tries to bolt. No, they go downstairs. They all try to leave, but they can't. They all try. Well, they go downstairs. They realize there's oh, a secret room. Yeah, Father that's Tom right, goes right. into the side room. They, they, they decide they can't leave without Doris. They're, that she is their, their daughter or right. sister. They're not leaving without her. And they hear in the basement. And they say, we're sticking together. And he talks about how the stupidest thing anybody ever does in these movies is split up. And he's explicitly saying, we're not going to do that in yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I appreciated that. So then they go down in the basement, and he goes and in the secret up. room. Yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> only one room off. <laughs> There's a cut scene there where he sees the um, the doc. I think it's he sees the doctor, whatever. It's the, not in the original yeah. cut, yeah. In the theatrical cut. He comes out, and he's possessed, and they run away. And he repeats the line. The, the most, most wonderful, wonderful, terrible awful, thing. Yep. Wonderful, awful things. Yep. And they get to the top, and he clears up, and then they get through the door, and then Doris throws him down the stairs, and that's Kills the him. end of Father Elliot from E.T., <laughs> and that's when you get the bungee cord grab. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love that. That was amazing. That was just great. I'm not sure about the physics on mm-hmm. it, but I loved it. But at, at that point, it's it's you have Doris has Lena, and they say, what do you want? She has a voice. And that's when the mom, Alice, is like, take me. Take me. Let my daughters go. Mm-hmm. Just take me. And then she just appears behind her. He's like, we'll take all of you. And it goes to black. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that was nice. <laughs> the, daughter, the daughter ends upstairs. After she gets ch- she gets chased by the girl but, running yeah. up the walls in the in the Exorcist yep. homage. Well, because they yeah, they take the mom downstairs to the secret yep. room, and then the dad's spirit shows up yep. and carries Lena doll. up to the bed and, and lays her down, so she's okay. But then, then he's holding the doll, and that's when they did the flashback. Early in the film, the doll had had its mouth sewn mm, shut, yep. and Doris was like, "I don't know what the hell that's about." And there's some reference said, to yeah. Dad did it. Yeah, she says, "Who did this? I didn't yep. do it. Daddy did it." And it turns yeah. out. But that was like one of the true things she actually said. Dad did do it to show that, you know, while I don't like it, this is how you stop these things. You need to silence them again. You need to sew their mouth shut. Which, you know, the dad saying, take my daughter and, and sew her mouth shut, it seems, it, it, 
I realize that they are literally doing their best to kind of shoehorn this ending into fitting what you find in Ouija we, 1. Yeah, right. this is where the wheels But, but that, was, that was, I was like, okay, I get it, but clunky, owl. <laughs> yeah, it gets cl- it's nice with the dad yeah. and the call to end. He, he had to show up. He, him showing up and also him giving them the way to beat him. Yeah, that makes and sense. All that. And then they run downstairs and... Again, kind of mimicking the Debbie moment. You know, right. the, the, the spirit of the pure Except for this one, it up. makes sense. Yes. <laughs> so then they, they go down to the basement and then she finally figures it out and she pins her sister and does the stuff. And mm-hmm. The sister dies and you get that nice little moment of the family reunited. Yeah, she's After with her dad she, again. And yeah. yeah. Was half expecting us to get the sequence where she looks up at her dad again and says, you know, thank you for showing us how to defeat me by, you know, sewing the mouse shut on the door. I was like, what? Showing you how to defeat him? It was me telling you I wanted peace and fucking quiet! (laughs) (laughs) Just wanted a quiet goddamn house! the fuck do you people shut up? I'm glad it worked! (laughs) But wasn't the message you were meant to take from that? But the incident kills Doris, who takes her father's hand and... Mm-hmm. You know, their spirits move on to whatever better place awaits them. And, and it's kind of a cool scene because the mom wakes up and she sees Doris standing there yeah. and then realizes Doris is also lying there, which is a trick he learned in Gerald's game. And you know, it's, and everybody kind of gets a nice ending except the sister who then kills her While mom. she was busy taking... It's subtle, but it's there. It's clear that while she was busy sewing up Doris, some spiritual energy got into her. Yeah, you see yeah. other ghouls climbing tainted. up on her. Yeah. yeah. So the mom's there. She's like, oh, come here. This is awful. Let's all let's be together. Yeah. And the sister comes up and just looks at her mom with opaque eyes and stabs her. But that's, you know, and at which point the, the energy kind of dissipates and she's left herself again, but it's too late. It's a death blow. And the mom's like, I know it wasn't you. I know it wasn't your fault. And she dies. And the, the family's together. And it's, it's mm-hmm. I don't want to say a nice ending, but could be worse. Yeah, for three-fourths of them. Then there's the sister who suffers the psychotic break. <laughs> yeah. But based on um, the first movie, uh, clearly she like cleans up her mom and, and sister, leaves them in that room so that they're never found. Well, she Come- drags the mom out. She leaves the sister in there. Where does she put the mom? The basement. But they never find her. They find the mom. They find the mom. Oh, that's right. They, they know she's she institutionalized because she killed the mom. Right? That's right. But she leaves. But they the, never find the daughter, and there's the scene right. where she's talking to the doctor, That's and the right. doctor's like, "Well, where is she?" And she's like, "She won't answer it." Yeah, They'll tell me the most wonderful, terrible things. And then she, <laughs> and then she says the the one line, "I'm not alone. I'll never be alone again." And then like the doctor's walking down the hallway, and as he passes, out of the corner of his eye, you see it clear as day. There's the two sisters in the room. He's like, "Huh?" He turns back, and it's just her looking out the window. Yeah, and before that, we also get the bit where she's oh, in her she room. tears up the carpet? Yeah, tears up the carpet, cuts her finger, and, and just draws a makeshift Ouija board in blood, and then mm. has a round lens from somewhere and, and holds it between like her planchette. thumb and... Yeah, and turns her hand into a makeshift planchette. Yep. And it was like, oh, that's that Clever. image is so much cooler than anything in the yeah. first one. In the original ending, it, she did that, and nobody ever speaks to her. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, and it what it does is it cuts from that to her turning into... In the, chair and the Lin Shay. The post credit scene mm-hmm. was the original ending, her turning into Lin Shay. But people kept thinking it was it insidious. Was a tie <laughs> <to Insidious. laughs> yeah. It's like, oh shit, so it's like, an oh, insidious prequel. So they're like, oh, we gotta break this up a little so bit. So that's why so they, they put reshot the, end the, the end and they put the stuff with her on the ceiling, which was actually Lulu Wilson yep. doing her own stunts on the ceiling. Running nice. on the ceiling. Wait, really? Yeah. I just thought it was like a CGI thing. Nope. Or it's it's her on the ceiling. Oh, they always pulled that off. That's awesome. So I thought that was creepy. She yeah. also does, if I recall, she does her own stunts in the sequence where she bends over, too. Yep. Like when she does oh, all nice. her own stunts. Marcus goes into her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. 
but the original cut of the movie was there was like forty minutes removed from it. Mm-hmm. And was that all, much? Wow. Yeah. yeah I only, watched the deleted scenes way back when this first came out. Like I, this movie's the reason I watched Ouija One was mm-hmm. this is um, the only reason I watched Ouija One. <laughs> yeah. Well, when Ouija Two came out, there were just a series of reviews for it. I mean, this movie was pretty highly rated. Like, I forget what the Rotten Tomatoes score was, but it was obviously significantly different. And I just skimmed over all these reviews, and all the reviews for Ouija 2 essentially began with, look, I know what you're thinking. You go to the next one. Look, I know what you're thinking. It says Ouija, but hear me out. Look, I know what you're thinking. And I said, well, I'm really curious now if the golf and quality is this. So I watched Ouija 1 and then watched Ouija 2. So it's, it's been a while since I watched the deleted scenes. I'll have to go back to them. The big one is you see the Doug Jones as the doctor. But the other one is that Kate Siegel is back in it, and I forget they, like they go to they do another seance with him, okay, uh, to get more closure, and the demon talks to her in that, and she ends up killing, strangling Sam Anderson to death. Oh shit! Oh wow! Okay, yeah. That's, so that's so, so it's oh, yeah. Right. So that's that's in the deleted scenes. There's scenes with Gloria Elliot from ET's wife, <laughs> who I don't remember them if they're in the deleted scenes or not though. Father Tom, to those listening at home. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Henry Thomas, a very talented actor, multi-talented. Amazing. Turns into a bit of a chameleon in Mike Flanagan movies with the diversity of his talent. Very but, true. And some people would say, Sally from E.T. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I like the guy, but I saw Jacob, Gerald's... if we ever run into Henry Thomas at a convention, you're just going to grab by the phone, you can't escape your past, Henry! <laughs> <laughs> look, I watched Gerald game three times. I have trouble seeing that guy as anything other than that. That's so, fair. <laughs> Elliot from E.T. is my nice way of identifying. <laughs> take, take that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, the song that's playing when she goes down there, the creepy song, is called Goodbye Little Girl Goodbye. It's by William H. Thompson. It's from 1904. So that's some old-ass creepy music everybody spot the mirror it was, it's um, in the oh it's god I forget. it's in the basement it's, yes the end, no, when they go right. through the basement and he says you know in a way this could be a prequel to oculus mm. which i got a kick out of like i said i watched the the commentary track a lot of it's just about you know how he shot it and stuff but there's some interesting stuff that i didn't notice which is, is there's a grandfather clock sound mm. throughout the movie there's no grandfather clock in the house huh. Huh. and also it slows down when creepy stuff is about to happen. So, like, when something supernatural is about to happen, the grandfather clock sound slows down. Oh. And most people don't notice it, but it's a cue that nice. triggers to puts you, the hackles up on your, your neck. Oh, I like mm-hmm. it. So that you know something's coming. He's got all the tricks. Yeah. He had a great line when he's talking about not using musical stings, which is just simply, it's a different story trying to scare someone quietly. Oh, nice. Yeah. He also refers to uh, Elliot from E.T. as Father Cockblop, so <laughs> it's possible I'm not the worst at that. Wait, so, what? <laughs> yeah, because there's the scene where they're about to kiss and, and, oh, yeah, and he right, cuts yeah. Arms, yeah. So Father Cockblop. And he has that little line about how boys at that age need to be discouraged. It turns them into yep. better men. And I, like, I, you know, we keep going on about how it's, you know, there's not an Oscar winning film, but it's a great horror movie. It's well done. He he nails how he wants to do it. And I like to think that that catchphrase, the most terrible, wonderful things, is him describing the Ouija franchise. <laughs> the most terrible and, and wonderful, wonderful things. things. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend. I, I think you should watch both. It's worth watching yes. the first one just to see how good the second one is. I, I agree. I think that the, uh, the juxtaposition of the two is worth exploring. And yeah. I think you ought to watch them in the order they came out. The, oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then this... Because, 
you could watch him in the other way, and it would work fine. But man, eh, less so though, because any we have watched this great movie, you're like, wait, this ending is clunky. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you see the first one, you're like, oh, that's why the ending is clunky. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> it is worth noting for Ouija 2's construction. Yeah, you can watch it on its own, and it True. would. Aside from the ending, it works quite well. Yeah, the ending would be a little like, well, okay, I guess, but yeah. I liked it. Uh, I think Flanagan's a genius. I'll watch anything he does. And this this is more than anything else is the thing that proves it. Because you see Ouija 1. And look, it's... I, obviously, we've said a lot of negative stuff about it. I feel a little bad about that. It It is what it is. It's not, like, you know, it's it's not the end of civilization. It's just, it's a bad horror movie that doesn't really try to be anything other than a bad horror movie. Mm. And then you get Ouija 2 which is a good horror movie trying to be a great horror movie and very close to succeeding. That's what I would say on these two films. Yep, yep, that's perfect. All right, well, I guess that's that's all we got. Yeah, that's our first bonus that's episode, bonus so episode. thank you so much for listening. Hey, it's and it's almost as long as our first episode. <laughs> if you haven't listened to our previous episode yet, check that out. We've got some giveaways we mentioned at the tail end of that episode, so give that a listen. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash scarystuffpod, Instagram, instagram.com slash scarystuffpodcast. Yeah, and, and we'd love to hear from you. Please leave a review on iTunes if you could, or like and favorite us wherever, follow us, all that good stuff. Like, we're out here doing this for you and watching movies like Ouija for you. You don't have to. Uh, all we ask is that you say something nice about us, or something bad, whatever. Just leave a review so we know how you feel. We just want the feedback. We love you. <laughs> Let us know you're there. All right, well, that's... That's Scary Stuff Podcast. Um, we've got some good episodes coming up, and we're going to talk more about the book we have coming out as well. Yay! Very exciting. Uh, we're going to have a special podcast about that very soon. Finishing up final edits now. Art's on its way. Oh, my God. Nibbles a fully record. And on that note... <laughs> uh, Stop recording now. <laughs> it's, it's not a rule, but as a pattern, we're going to say goodnight. This is Nick. Got the horror creds. Unlike somebody here, Leamy, signing off. This is Eric, and oh, my God. <laughs> Good night. See ya. Oh, we say goodbye, you do. <laughs> <laughs>